welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm delighted that you're with us today. You know, one of the wonderful fruits of my having shared these Seek Reality programs with you over the past six and a half years is the fact that I've made so many friends in the process. There are listeners who reach out to me often. They're sort of like pen pals now. And there are authors and experiencers and others who have been my guests over the years, and they still keep in touch. I love being part of so many wonderful people's fascinating lives. Our guest today, who's here for the second time, is Patrick J. McCulloch, who lives not far from me and who by now has become a personal friend. Patrick is a cognitive behavioral counselor, certified neurofeedback provider, and international consultant and trainer. Early in his career, he was a lead trainer for one of the U.S. neurofeedback provide. whoops, sorry starting that sentence again. Earlier in his career, he was a lead trainer for one of the U.S. Department of Education's regional training centers, and he worked extensively as a consultant in the areas of alcohol and drug abuse, organizational development, and community mobilization for planned social change. So you can see he's done a lot of things. He worked principally for the U.S. Department of State and the Organization of American States, but he, he's worked also for a number of other organizations. And he has worked, this is such important work, he has worked in the criminal justice system with high-risk offenders on probation. He grew up in a rural area of north-central Mexico in a bilingual and bicultural family, and his early family life was unstable, violent, and traumatic. Then his alcoholic father abandoned him in an orphanage while his mother fled to her home country, which was, of course, the United States. Eventually, he attended high school and college here, and there he obtained a degree in psychology and sociology. But with such a tumultuous background, Patrick let himself be lured into an abusive cult that he managed to escape after more than four years. He's the first victim of a cult that I ever have known, and I find his tale of it fascinating. Eventually, Patrick's mostly awful early life became, it's amazing, his lighthearted and entertaining book, which I really enjoy. It's called The Face of the Iguana, Freedom from Toxic Beliefs, A Journey in Healing and Transformation. We talked about this book last spring, and I asked him to come back and talk about something which is really important to all of us, which is spiritual growth. If anyone can talk about that, it's my friend Patrick. So welcome back, Patrick. I'm so glad to have you here again. Thank you, Roberta. It's fantastic to be here again with you. So, please, for people who haven't heard our previous inter- interview, let's talk a little about yourself, just briefly. You, you were your your mother is was is American or was American. Your father, Mexican, and he was he's a wealthy person or a powerful person in some way, as I recall. Yeah, actually, my father is it uh, was American citizen, but he grew up so uh, uh, he. he he grew up in Mexico since he was a kid, so basically he considered himself Mexican, or he considered himself uh, to be a part of the Mexican culture, and that he was. Uh, but uh, yeah, my my, my uh, background uh, obviously was uh, tumultuous from the get go. It uh, it was an abusive, alcoholic family. Uh, there was 
There were issues of abandonment. I was abandoned into a or put into an orphanage because they didn't know what to, to do with me. And this was after my mother uh, fled to the United States uh, after divorcing my father. And so um, I tried to uh, integrate myself into life as best I could in spite of the sense of abandonment and the sense of, of uh, trauma that I had experienced. And so um, I was able to finally get a chance to have my father uh, send me to the States to go to school. And, uh, and so I completed basically my schooling here in the United States, which was a godsend really for me. Now, you, there was a period there where you, I mean, I found your early life, and maybe if someone just lives a perfect life and joins Boy Scouts and does nothing, maybe they have a boring childhood or something. But I found your whole account of your childhood pretty fascinating. The, 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 the head was like a, a Catholic or something orphanage, and the head of it was abusive, but you ended up loving him and, and thinking he was very formative. Tell us a little about that, because... I, people, it, things look very different when you're in the middle of something bad. Sometimes you can find the good things in it, too. Well, actually, the uh, the priest was not abusive. It was the people under him that oh. he, I had uh, uh, put there in terms of, like, uh, the prefect of discipline or the prefect of uh, students or, or, or the uh, whole uh, life of the orphanage. Uh, the directors of the orphanages, and there were many of them, um, they were, in many instances, quite abusive in the sense that the uh, the paddlings with the uh, big paddle with the holes in it uh, was oh my uh, lord was uh, quite frequent, and you had to actually pull down your pants, and they had to actually spank you on your buttocks. And um, the screams were just uh, – it, it, it kind of reminds me of a picture of the Inquisition that I saw. And it's like it – was, it was like a, a torture that was just so uh, uncalled for. And as I look back on it, I really just uh, – really don't understand it. But at that time, I, I suppose they just – they they did what they only knew what to do, and that was to impose corporal punishment upon these kids. And these these kids, and I include myself, I guess, in that sense, were abandoned kids. They were orphans. They were uh, they had no sense of uh, family life whatsoever. Whereas I did. I did come from a family. I knew what family life was like. So. Uh, in spite of that, though, this the priest was a very saintly man, in my opinion. Um, I understand from uh, from individuals that I know that there has been a petition to the Vatican to initiate a uh, inquiry into his his possible beatification. So really, wow, right, and so. There is a movement going on, and I, I, I do, I do believe that he absolutely deserves it because he came from a place of unconditional love, and he sacrificed his whole life to bring these kids in. Um, I think the the fault perhaps lies in his not being made aware of what the people under him were doing, and I, 
I can't say that I uh, don't I, I don't blame him, but at the same time, of course, he should have been a little bit more vigilant. But yes, again, he was very very busy. He was traveling all over the place trying to raise money for the orphanage. So, uh, in spite of all of the abuse, I saw the. Uh, the unconditional love that was coming from this man was just incredible. And I had, and I met with him later on when I was an adult and that light that he had in him just glowed even more. And I go, wow, this man is a giant, a spiritual giant. Wow. That's wonderful. Yes. And, and so, yeah. Was he, but, was he, why you decided you wanted to be a priest? Because at some t- one point you also decided to be a priest. Well, no, that was my doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, tell I us decided, why you wanted to be a priest after oh, all. Oh yeah, this. well, I I decided. Well, I I'm I'm going to have a uh, a way out of here, and uh, <laughs> that was one way for me to get out of that uh, that environment that I was in because I was totally misplaced, uh, to be honest yes. about it. So I I did. I went down to the uh, seminary and I uh, put my name in the hopper, and they said, oh, "Okay, yeah, well." I, I guess I passed the initial interview, and they did. Ta- they did take them young back then. Um, I don't you know. You were a they, teenager, right? I was preteen. You I was, were preteen. I was, I was preteen. Oh, I was 11, 11, 12 years old. Yeah. Wow. And uh, it was a total change of environment. It was a step up, let's say, because the food was better. Uh, there was no corporeal uh, punishment. Uh, however, that was my first. Uh, induction into fear-based belief systems yeah uh not that i didn't get that earlier in my life through the wonderful uh baltimore catechism catechism and uh all of uh, the other uh, indoctrinations that uh the church uh espouses and or espoused back then it's uh-huh. started it just reinforced the fear-based belief systems that the church had uh uh, had actually very successfully programmed into my subconscious mind. And, but then, then you you decided you were not going to be a priest. That it wasn't quite for you. Exactly, and that was a decision that I made. And I told my father, I, I need, I want to go to the states. I want to get an education. And so they, I, and I was insistent on it. I had already uh, become now an adolescent. I was about thirteen. And um, by the grace of God, I I was able to uh, go to the states, and it was like it was like the Statue of Liberty welcomed me to welcomed <laughs> me. I, it was like yes. total freedom, as like, and the Statue of Liberty has so much meaning to me. And you may <laughs> right. think, well, wait, you're not an immigrant. No, I'm not. But you know, it was freedom for me. It was freedom yeah. from psychological and mental and. And physical abuse, and it was just like, oh my God, this is just an incredible new life that I have. It, it, we, we really don't understand just how wonderful it is in this country. We really, really don't. <laughs> really don't. You don't know how much I appreciate the United States of America. Well, we appreciate you too, dear. But I, I, I think that's something that it's a useful reminder because a lot of us just take for granted it's the the water we swim in is freedom and yes, and the right not to be abused or or starved or in any way treated negatively, and that's very rare in the world. So um, yes, it sure I'm is. Glad, it, I'm glad you were rescued. Yes, for sure. And, 
So you went to high school and college, but then you ended up in a cult. How did that happen? Well, I went to actually before the cult. I was in. I had a very very good job in a uh, juvenile justice system and um, and another state in a western state. And uh, you know, I had a wonderful job. It was very promising. It was uh, a, it was a job that was uh, I very much enjoyed and 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 was successful in. But the issue of not having dealt with the trauma of my of the abuse as a child compelled me to find healing and some people that are vulnerable like I was at that time will do uh, will seek out uh, any form of a uh, therapy or a organization or a set of paradigms or tenants uh, or principles that will help them feel better about themselves. And so I, I guess I went down that route. I went down that path. And this cult just basically started answering all some all kinds of questions, you know, regular questions like, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? So on and so forth. But in addition to that, and I think more importantly, I wanted to be healed. I wanted yes. to be healed from the hurt that I had uh, experienced as a child. Uh, however, I was led into a, uh, let's say, a street with no return. I mean, I was, it was a dead-end street, and it was straight into negativity. And I found myself absolutely entrapped and through fear and uh, through trepidation and uh, threats. I was kept there, and I was forced to work for the organization, or else uh, there would have been uh, what they put, uh, how they put it was, if you dare leave, you know, you're very special, and the reason why you're special is because that's because you are here. If You were picked by the quote-unquote cosmic beings to be here, and so if you dare even try to leave, and this was just not a message to me, it was a message to everybody, then you're going to have the most horrible karma. You'll even go through what's called the second death. So you had this incredible psychological um, death sentence imposed upon you. And so, all right, But so here you are, you're a college graduate, obviously very bright, and we have a wonderful job. And it's hard for people to imagine what the hook was now they offered healing so they gave you a sense of of answers to your questions that were at first comforting right but yes. the, the leader also claimed to be in contact with aliens or some greater beings right and and claimed that they that he and his little remnant there had were in some way special what, what did he well, what did he say well i the the whole thing was that the the cult leader was transmitting these messages from the cosmic beings, and so it was just like uh, the spokesperson, the messenger, says, say of all these cosmic beings that that encompass the, all of the universe, so on and so forth. I mean, it was just it, it was so ridiculous. At first, I don't, 
and I contemplated afterwards. I thought about it. And I said, "How did I ever even yeah. even be seduced into uh, accepting this?" And the only thing that I can come up with is the methods that they used to seduce me. It wasn't just seduction by verbal commands or bar- or verbal verbiage. It was actually seduction at the subconscious level through chanting and through uh, singing. And through, and I'm talking about hours of chanting. And as I became a neurotherapist and and, and discovered the power of brainwaves and the entrainment of, especially at the theta level, uh, that the hypnagogic level of the brain, uh, what they what they did and they did it very 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 cleverly, is uh, actually reprogrammed my subconscious mind. And once your your subconscious mind basically is your 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 hardware and your software, uh-huh. and uh, we operate basically from a program that's been programmed into our subconscious mind. So that's basically what they did. They they were very clever at using these subtle but very powerful techniques to uh, indoctrinate and program or reprogram. Uh, all of the cult members with new with information that eventually turned into a very toxic, toxic uh, soup of uh, actually uh, anxiety and depression. I, I did enter into periods of depression and anxiety, uh, panic attacks, uh, and it wasn't just me. It was uh, I saw this in, in the rest of my cult members or cult mates. And most of them also had stories of abuse. They had stories of abandonment. So I go, oh, I get it now. It's the vulnerable ones that are most susceptible. And so I became very, very vulnerable. So, so they, all right. So if people listening are thinking, I could never have, have that happen to me, it's quite possible that you could. How would – how would people who are, you know, we all have imperfect childhoods and stuff. If if people feel damaged from childhood and maybe they haven't fully healed from it, how would they recognize that the what looks as if it's going to help them really isn't going to help them? Were there any are there any signs in retrospect that people could find that might say you're going in the wrong direction? This won't help. The the main question to ask is, am I getting the help the the professional help that I need? in order to deal with these issues that I have dealt with in the past and that I'm still dealing with. The second piece to that is, is what these people are saying, does that does that resonate with me at the soul level? And is it positive? Positive is, is it, important, yes. And positive is critical. Because what they did was, they they first gave all the positive stuff, all the beautiful stuff, you know, the just wonderful. Uh, the the you're gonna go straight to you're gonna make your ascension and you're gonna go to heaven and because you're gonna be a missionary for uh, the the whole universe, blah blah blah. So those were the the like the candy that was coated with all this rich, uh, sugary, um, delightful uh, tasting. Uh, substance, but right deep as you bit into that candy was the bitterness of um, despair and anxiety and depression. So they had to sugarcoat it first in order to attract you, and then once they got they had you, then they used guilt and fear to keep you. 
That's so, that's such an important point. The only thing, no matter what your problem is, the only thing that can help you at all is perfectly love-based teachings and practices. Anything that feels fearful or negative is just going to trap you into more despair and negativity yourself. And that that really strikes me from your book. I mean, that's really what you learned from all this. Yes. And, you know, I, Roberta, I really must say I am really grateful that I had this experience. Would I go, to, go through it again? No. <laughs> no. Oh, no. No way in the world would I uh-huh. want to go through that again. But I, it, it taught me so much, and it brought forth information that I think will probably help a lot of people I've already heard from so many people who said I've read your book and I just love it and it has helped me so much and I think from experience comes the fruit of knowing and of knowledge and of understanding that I think a lot of us need in our healing process and I I just want to say if and this is a message to everybody if the message you receive, whether it is from the pulpit in your local church or from some teacher that's out there, if the message does not resonate with you and it is lacking in a deep positivity, then stop and question it. You do not have to accept anything that anybody says just because they say it or because it's printed or because it's announced or you see it on the TV. That does not make truth. Truth is what resonates with your soul, and truth is what what feeds your soul and brings you into that that state of unconditional love. The thing about the the, the problem we face, many of us in the United States and in the Western world, is that Christianity, which is we're told is you know this is Jesus, this is this is perfect stuff. It's fear-based. The teachings of mainstream Christianity are fear-based. Now, they get sugar-coated in in a lot of sort of lighter-weight churches, but at the back of it all is you are so unworthy, Jesus had to go and suffer and die for you, or God could never forgive you. That is the most fear-based, scary, horrible thing you could be told about yourself that there, that exists. I'm that horrible, I'm that negative, I'm that evil, that if Jesus didn't die, God could never forgive me. What does that tell you about God? What does it tell you about you? So I I, I think one of the things that we've talked about to you and I is just how dangerous these teachings are to people. You don't think it's a cult. But if you have a minister or a preacher who is telling you things about If you leave this church, you know, you're damned, you're going to hell, whatever, that flee that. Do not allow that to get into your mind because it poisons you. And it's not true. It's frankly not true. Those are the first warning signs. If you are if you are threatened in any way and and you are not uh, you know, free will is a universal law and free will cannot be violated. And your free will is sacred. If you are held against your free will and you are and that could be through be through threats or through intimidation or through fear or whatever, then that's your first warning sign that you are in a toxic belief system and you do have the right to walk out that door and you should, for your own sake, walk out that door. And it I and I. It's what I call terrorism at the pulpit. And yes. Oh, I, yes. I, I'm 
and I, I'm trying not to be critical because, uh, you know, Roberta, these people that that ha- they they have also been indoctrinated. Uh huh. They That's have right. also they have gone through the whole uh, the whole period of uh, being indoctrinated into uh, what has been years and years and centuries of traditions. And uh, today I heard a wonderful quote from a woman called Darshana Patel, and she says, tradition is peer pressure from dead people. <laughs> yes, that's true. I'll have to remember that. Tradition is peer pressure from dead people. And Well, those oh. dead people, okay, the, so they're, they're, they're gone. They're, they've, they're, they're, I'm sure they're re- reincarnated or yes, wherever they are. Right. But, but these are paradigms. They're ancient paradigms that are paradigms that had to deal with death and fear and anxiety and killing. And uh, it's no, there's no reason for us to accept all of these traditions just because it's been handed down from generation to generation. It just, just doesn't make any sense. What makes sense is that which conforms to unconditional love, which is the pure essence of not only our being at our core, because we are sparks of the divine, but from source or, and I like to refer to God as source because it's, God is that which cannot be described. It can, God or the source cannot be explained in any way whatsoever because it's unexplainable. But what we can do is, we can be in touch with the that love, that pure unconditional love, which can be felt. And when you feel it, then you know that you are in touch with your own God source within you. Yes. We, we have talked here, just a, a briefly, everyone, on secret reality. We have talked about the fact that consciousness is all that exists. Consciousness has its highest vibration is pure love, and that's the source, that's God. At its lowest vibration, it's fear, anger, hatred, all of the ishy emotions. Correct. That, that consciousness is you, and you are vibrating somewhere in the range between deep fear and perfect love, and we come to Earth to raise our personal vibrations higher. Now, the, experience, the kind of experience, frankly, that, that Patrick had is one – the series of experiences that this is a lifetime designed by someone who is probably pretty advanced to begin with, or they wouldn't have let him do it, but he designed a lot of garbage into his life. It just the way you would go to a gym and say, I'm really going to try hard now to stretch my muscles and grow. And that's what these experiences have done for him. Horrible to go through. But on the other hand, I mean, you can tell, read it. I love your book. I recommend your book. It's called The Face of the Iguana by Patrick J. McCulloch. And it, it, what, what's in it, what you see as you read his book, number one, it feels very real to you. I, I found it actually very enjoyable to read because I got to be you. You know, it was just a fun experience. But even the horrible things were happening, you didn't dwell on those things. But but you, you can see the growth that already has happened as a result of these things and you wrote it you you've grown more since then yes definitely and i and roberta i reached a point actually it's really interesting how uh things happen 
source or my life plan uh, dictated that I would slowly start to reintegrate myself back into some form of spirituality after uh, two decades of uh, walking through a spiritual desert, so to speak. And I, it was like one book came after the other. I studied physics. I studied science. I started to, to I studied Taoism. I started, I studied everything that had to do with spirituality from a, dis, a different point of view, and that was mainly from a, um, a Taoistic point of view. I love the Taoistic uh, philosophy of life. Well, and that progression, it was like I had this menu of of books or information that kept flowing into me, uh, into my life rather. And I finally came to a point where I said, okay, uh, I know that that uh, cult was New Age, and I don't even like that that term, New Age. I don't either. Uh, it, it just doesn't resonate. I, I think transformational information is uh, what we're talking about here, the, the new information of transformation. And so I finally came to the point where, okay, I'm going to start doing some investigating, but I'm going to set some limits. It has, first of all, the research that I uh, am engaging right now has to be, it has to be evidential, it has to be positive, and it, it has to be impacting at the level where it's going to help human beings. Those were my limits. And I set those as the criteria for a journey that I embarked on to research uh, mainly afterlife, the afterlife. And that started out with near-death experiences. But before that, I had a a spiritually transformative experience. And it's really interesting. I I describe it in my book. And most of my family and friends who have read my book or even they don't even dare discuss this incredible spiritual experience that I had. First of all, because perhaps what they're thinking is, well, yeah, you know, saints are the only ones that have these transformative experiences. Yeah, no, and well, and I'm certainly true. no saint. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you that. But it was one, one morning I was, I was still asleep. And it started out like it was a dream, and, and what? But suddenly, it became more than a dream. It, I was just overcome with a feeling of pure, unconditional love, and the peace that I experienced right away. The my consciousness came to the words, "Peace, the peace that passes yes. all understanding." Yes. And I go, now I know what that is. And then I was I was in front of this, I don't know how to describe it, this being that emitted light that had the, the most bluish violet eyes that uh, I can't even describe the color. And it, I looked at this being and he, he said, I come in love to you and I... And I, I had this feeling I, that I knew him. I, I had known, but I couldn't place where I knew him. And I was just starting out uh, in a new uh, stage in my uh, career as a cognitive counselor. 
he says, uh, Michael or Patrick, I want you to go over there and I want you to go over to that man over there named Michael. And I said, and I, he says, I want to take, I want you to take his hands. And I, and then I, I hesitated. I said, and, and this was all telepath. He says, take his hands. So I took his hands. And as soon as I took his hands, I smelled alcohol coming off his breath. And I heard this being say to me, you have the power in you that is source to able to facilitate this man and many others healing. Heal them now. Wow. And uh, that that whole experience, and I'm not giving it even justice the way I'm describing it now, because it, it was so transformative. I was basically uh, just paralyzed in my bed because I could not move, nor did I want to open my eyes because I didn't want I didn't want that experience to go away. And one of the things people don't understand is that what happened to you is not uncommon. Um, I, I would say by midlife, just from the, because a lot of people will tell me their stories. I think by that, by midlife, at least half of us have had an extraordinary experience, one that we cannot explain, one that involves beings or sensations or out of body or something that makes us know we have contacted the divine it's it's normal and so i perfectly believe that and and what you're you know i'm sure that probably was your guide that you were talking with and it's just it's it's wonderful thank you for sharing that but no i totally know that it was real no question about that and and, and there was such a gift you know and the first thing of course that comes to my mind is well why me and then why not you and then (laughs) yeah and what i get back telepathically is and why not you (laughs) right if anybody's qualified, you certainly are qualified from what you went right. through. And, right. and and that's what set me off on this incredible journey of six years of uh, – I've, I've done six years of intensive afterlife research. And, and I'll tell you, the two books that completely collapsed every single bit of PTSD that I – had been carrying around and and which popped up intermittently in the past 50 years was um, Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls by Dr. Michael Newton. Yeah, a lot of people feel very strongly about those books. And what is important about those two pieces is that they are evidential. The database uh, initially when he wrote those two books was 7,000 patients that and he was a he was a uh, atheist. He yes. didn't believe in any of this new age stuff. Yeah, he a said, lot of the best of researchers turn out really to be very skeptical. In fact, I don't think you can be a good researcher unless you are. Exactly, and he said, "I went into this kicking and screaming, and I I can understand that. I can I could totally understand. I mean, he was a clinical psychologist and a clinical hypnotherapist. He didn't mm-hmm. want to have anything to do with this all this woo woo stuff, and." Uh, then he got in touch with all of these patients that wanted to get some relief through hypnotherapy, and they started talking about other experiences in in past lives, and he just let them talk. He says, okay, I don't believe any of this stuff, but if they want to go into that, that's fine. If it helps them, that's great. 
uh, his first one of his first patients was a man that had a pain in his back and all kinds of medical uh, exams proved that he had absolutely nothing to justify or explain why he had that pain. And he reported in hypnotherapy, he says, oh, I've been stabbed. I've been stabbed in the back. And Dr. Newton said, well, tell me about it. Where are you? Oh, I'm in the trenches. What year is it? 1917. I'm in, whoa, I'm in World War One. Wow. Oh, and he took him through this. He got his name, his regiment number, and uh, all the information. And this, meanwhile, this man is just uh, having uh, this anxiety because of that he's re-experiencing this stabbing and his transition. And finally, he calmed him down. He took him out of the experience. And as soon as he got out of that experience, the man says, my pain's gone. I, I have no more pain. Wow, isn't that great? <laughs> but then Dr. Newton... He called the he called the war office in Britain. He gave him the the nam the man's name and his uh, the approximate age and w where he had been stationed because he, he he gave that information in this hypnotherapy session and the war office confirmed every single detail yeah, and wow. even said where that man was buried. Wow. <laughs> and the no, man. I, I I, I loved his books too. I, I for for me the problem was partly that they were they were inconsistent with um, what a what a whole body of other you know very evidential material. But I came to understand why that was and how it all fits together. But then I decided I'm not going to burden people with that now. So I just tell people read those two books, Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls, when you've when you already sort of understand quite a bit about what's going on because they do add immeasurably um, information yes. and grounding to the basic information that we all get when we do afterlife research for sure. Yes, and, and and I think one of the the rules that is really important to consider when you're reading any of this stuff. If if it if it resonates with you, accept it, take it in, take a look at it. If it doesn't resonate with you, you have the free will to just let it let it go and uh, not accept it. And if it resonates with your soul, find out how it resonates and what that means to you. I think this and that I say that in my book, the the face of the iguana. Anything that I say here does not mean that I'm the authority and no one is the authority except only that which resonates with you. And the rest, you can just leave it. And, uh, and I think that's another very important um, piece of information that I think all of us need to uh, exercise when we are uh, reading. Uh, it's really interesting. On, in one book um, on uh, channeling, I... I was reading about it, and in that, the author says, um, "Well, channeling, you have to you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Just because something comes through does not mean that it's absolutely the truth. And if it is, it all depends what those people that are being channeled, what book they're reading. And that doesn't mean the channeler; it means the 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 voices that are coming through them. You know, yes, because in one of the important problems with channeling is that there are many beings who are third, fourth, or fifth level 
but they aren't expert at all and they don't know what is above them and they there's right. a lot of erroneous information out now con- that have come through re- people who have recently died and they were not that expert but they you know i mean if you if you're being channeled by your mother or by someone who is claiming you're a big shot you want to show you are and they a lot of what they say is simply not consistent with the rest of the evidence so yes that's I, true. I caution people about those books yeah yes and uh, i think another assumption that we all make is that once you die you become this all-knowing being that's what i mean that, they don't know that anymore is than not they true do at all i mean yes you you are right. the same personality you have the same body of information that you had when you're alive and that's what the uh, research is showing it's you go in the and life continues because consciousness is energy and energy cannot be either created nor destroyed that's right and so we go on in after we drop this body we go on learning and learning does not stop just because your body's been dropped it's in our our souls learn continuously and that's part of our path and I, I think this would really, especially in these days before the holidays, we have to understand that those who have have our family members who have gone on, who have made their transition, we have to realize and understand that they're not gone. They're 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 here. They're here with us. They're very they're very much alive, if not more alive than we are. The, and, but what sense I have had is that more and more as I talk with people is that knowing the truth is critical to people really dropping the fear because fear of death is the base fear. And what, what you've done, is to, which, which is to make yourself an expert on the afterlife, seems to have been very empowering for you, just as it is for other people who do it. It was, uh, yes, it was a godsend, Roberta. It, it really, really was. Uh, and it, it's just, it opens up all these doors that, I, first of all, you don't even realize that exist. And it, it brings up the uh, the the quote that the master has said over and over again: "Know the truth, and the truth shall set you free." And it yes. really has applied in my case, and I'm so grateful for that. Yes, well, so am I. But that's been the. I think that's universally true. One of the things that we're looking at is coming up with more efficient ways to help everyone know the truth about the fact that our lives are eternal and our eternal lives are one beyond our imagination because exactly. when enough people know that it's going to change everything for all of us it will uplift the entire planet what's next for you are you working on another book what are you planning to do i'm working on another book i am um also um been named as part of the um board of directors of the uh, santa fe institute uh, for mediumship and spiritual studies in Good santa fe you. new mexico yeah and i'm uh, going to be the director of training for uh, some of the events that uh, will be held. And um, I'm writing also a novel that is um, going to – what actually is incorporating a lot of the information that I've uh, researched into as far as the afterlife is concerned. It's like a gentle introduction to the general public on near-death experiences, um, uh, transformative spiritual experiences – but of course, I'm going to add some intrigue uh, with that as well, and um, I, uh, I just I'm never written a, a book on um, on this type of this this specific uh, topic, especially in a novel. So it's I'm kind of uh, uh, 
experimenting with it, but it seems to be going in the right direction. I'm just turning it over to my higher self, and uh, my higher <laughs> self seems to be doing pretty good with it. So I'm I'm not going to let him. I'm not going to let my higher self get in the way. So it's. Uh, I'm going to let my I am going to let my higher self uh, guide me that and guide me that way. And it and he is and or she or whatever. One of the things that we come to understand is we really don't write anything. We aren't really able to. It's all channeled. And because it's all channeled, that's very freeing. We could just allow it to happen. We don't have to, you know, guide it because if we try, we screw it up. In my experience, it's just up to them. They do a much better job than we yes, can. Yes, it's exactly right. When I when I try to impose my uh, my ideas on how it should be, all of a sudden everything falls apart, and I go, "Oh, now where do I go?" That's and then right. I just give it up, and then it comes. I oh, just surrender, actually. and I think surrendering is one of the key words here. And sometimes we just have to surrender to source to the universe, to the eternal wisdom, and we and just say, here I am. Let me have what I need right now to know what the next step is or what I need to have to grow and learn at, at this moment in time and space. That, that is beautifully said. I'm so sorry. We're coming to the end of our time now. So uh, we'll have to do this again. Yes. Um, we, we we like we sort of have lunch and say okay let's talk this what, what are we going to talk about okay we'll we'll talk about uh, that next time and so when, when you when you have a book a little farther along we'll talk about possibly having you come back okay Roberta but, um, that sounds but good con- meanwhile consider yourself hugged and um, likewise <laughs> everyone this has been seek reality with Roberta Grimes I'm so glad you could be with us today please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you really get that, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, here for the 29th time in six and a half years, will be our wonderful friend, Dr. R. Craig Hogan. Craig is the world's leading expert on the greater reality, what's going on and how it all fits together. And he's devoting his life to spreading the truth as broadly as he can. One of his projects is the Afterlife Research and Education Institute, or AREI. Lovely logo. I was part of designing it. AREI has put on and sponsored meetings and Zoom groups of all sizes all over the world. And I'm really excited to hear more about what it's up to now. Also, next week, Craig is going to announce to us that he has not one, but two much much-needed books coming out in the summer of 2020. I've seen an early preview of his new books. It's, he's, he's got 700-plus pages. He has to pare it down to two books. But it looks terrific. I'm excited about this. And he's going to introduce to us what his books are about next week. So we'll break some news here on Seek Reality. And I'm excited to be doing that. Um, this is the most fun, by the way, you could ever possibly have. So I, I hope that you get to be a guest, too, because I really love being part of the lives of all these wonderful people who are doing so much good in the world. But please then join us next week. This week, our guest here for the second time has been Patrick J. McCulloch, who is that's the pen name of a friend of mine. And Patrick had a traumatic, but at the same time, he had a fascinating international childhood and youth. And he has triumphed 
dramatically over all his travails. Um, I think you should read his book just to see what, what people can go through, and they come out of it triumphant. What an amazing thing. His his book is actually positive and uplifting. I enjoyed reading it because it's, you know, none of it is depressing. It's all, all uplifting. This is all part of making a wonderful adult man. It's called The Face of the Iguana, Patrick J. McCulloch's work. His life since that time has been a process of deep awakening and uplifting spiritual growth, and a lot of that came just from the very things that were so hard for him to go through. And, of course, that's the point of our coming here at all. He designed a difficult life, and he's using it beautifully. Actually, I'm enjoying watching this very tough and resilient man turn inward now and really, really grow spiritually in the latter part of his life. As you know, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and in February of 2020, The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught. And the Christianity that Jesus Taught, let me make clear, has no fear in it whatsoever. It's only love and joy. For young children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus and pretty soon the fun of growing with Jesus. You can order all my books through bookstores or on Amazon.com and the adult books are also available as audiobooks. If you want to talk about anything with me, any of my books or if you have a question or anything, you can always contact me through the contact block on robertagrimes.com. I used to be able to say if it takes more than 24 hours to get an answer, send flowers. I can't say that now. Sometimes it takes almost a week. But I do answer still. I answer every email. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, realrevolutionradio.com, iTunes, the iHeartRadio Network, and on a number of other stations, including those in the wonderful Dream Vision 7 radio family. There's also a free app in the iTunes App Store, which you can get, and apparently Seek Reality just appears there every week, so that's very simple. And, of course, if you enjoy our weekly conversations, you might also want to check out my blog at robertagrimes.com. If you sign up, it'll come to you every week. I use those blog posts to work through a lot of the issues that we talk about on Seek Reality. And there's more space, of course, there for analysis so we can go deeper. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I didn't even think I'd be able to keep this up, but I've done it now for a year and a half, and I think I can do it every week from now on. I get so energized by the people who come there, who comment, who have made friends with each other and with me, and we really have a good time. So every Sunday morning, there's a new blog post. Come and check it out. Meanwhile, everyone, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you, you are a perfect, eternal being. And you, most, most of all in the universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.